Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Renee Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Let's pray. It's a good place to start. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. The best kind of prayer, right? When he shows up, there's nothing left for us to do. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm going to be speaking tonight on a scripture. So this is the scripture right here. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who knows that scripture? What is that scripture? Psalm 23. I love this scripture. This is perhaps one of the most well-known scriptures in Christianity, this portion of scripture. And it's well-loved for a good reason, because it's just jam-packed with goodness. But sometimes when we read text that is so well known, we run into the danger of it becoming familiar to us. We run into the danger of it losing its transformative power on us because we look at it how we've always looked at it. And this scripture to me, I have to say the first encounter I ever had with scripture in my born again life was this scripture right here. But it really wasn't until this past year that this scripture became life to me. That it became the manna that I ate from spiritually for this last year. And I remember my grandmother asked me to read this scripture at my grandpa's funeral. And I wasn't a believer yet. And I wasn't very good at reading. (laughs) I definitely wasn't good at talking in front of people. And so I was very nervous. And so I just read this scripture over and over again because I didn't want to mess it up. The next night, I got to sit at my grandma and grandpa's table. The table that they opened their Bible up every single night and every single morning. The table that they prayed at. The table that they read the word at. And because this scripture became so ingrained in me in those previous days, it opened up a way for me to receive salvation. My grandmother led me to the Lord at that kitchen table. And in hindsight, I look back and I think, this scripture had such a profound impact on me before I even knew God. And this is the number one scripture that is read at funerals. Did you know that? No other scripture is read more at a funeral across the globe 
than Psalm 23. And I began to think, God, this isn't a scripture for the dying and the dead. This is a scripture for the living. This is a scripture that should be our path and our guidepost through this walk of Christianity. Today I want to pick apart this scripture and go verse by verse. So it's a little bit of a different, um, a different look than some of the, the preaching that we usually do here. This is more of an exploratory teaching where we're just going to dive right into the text. And we're going to get everything that we can out of this. Because I actually believe that this scripture is just as relevant today as it was when King David wrote it. And especially in the current climate that we're in. Oh, this is so good. This is manna. This is food for our spirits. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I love that it opens like this because all throughout scripture, we see God and man depict as two different things, as a king and as a servant as a master and a servant. We even the potter and the clay. There's so many different analogies that King David could have pulled from when he was referencing the Lord. He could have said, oh, my king, the Lord is my king. And that is true. The Lord is my master. But I love that David used the imagery of a shepherd because who better to know the ways of a shepherd than a shepherd? This was such an intimate Picture for David. He knew how to shepherd like the back of his hand. He knew the characteristics and the nature, not only of the shepherd, but of the sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And in John 10, 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And in 14, it says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. See, David would have given his life for his flock. And we read this, how he, he battled lions and bears. He would have laid down his life, and he did often for his flock. And you see, they didn't just go out into the field in those days and stay with them for the day, pen them up at night, and then go back to their house. A shepherd dwelt among his flock. He slept among his flock. And just like it says in John that Jesus, the shepherd, dwelt among us. It's this beautiful imagery of intimacy. I don't know about you, but when I first became a believer, I would pray for the most ridiculous things. Right? I'm like, I need a parking space. Give me, Lord, Lord. Hey, if you're real, can you please give me a parking space? And I don't know about you, but then a parking space would miraculously just open up. And I was like, whoa, he's real. <laughs> I would ask for the silliest things or have the, like, just little inklings and thoughts and desires. And he would just show up. And he does that so often to us, doesn't he, as new believers? He's so close to us. He talks so loudly. He's training us to know his voice. He's training us to know him as a shepherd. 
I shall not want. This word want actually is more accurately translated as I shall not lack. And in many translations, it does say I shall not lack. But I shall not want and I shall not lack gives you a little bit of a different mindset, right? A little bit of a different concept. I don't know about you, but when I read I shall not want, it makes me think I'm going to get everything I want. (laughs) Man, I signed up for a good deal. This Christianity business is awesome because anything I want, I'm going to get it. It says it right there. But if you actually read it, I shall not lack, it takes on a little bit of a different meaning. What this scripture actually means is you will have everything that you need. You will not go without something that you need. And I think it's so good for us in this day and age to remember that because sometimes we treat God like a vending machine of our hopes and desires, don't we? I punch the button in, put in my prayer. Where is that thing that I want? And it's so good for us to realize that he knows what we need. And will he give us some of the things that we want? Of course he will. He's a good dad. But if we go into life with an expectation that he's going to give us everything that we want, pretty soon we are going to be very offended at Christianity. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be, we're going to turn our back on it saying, well, it really wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. If he was a loving father, he would have given me what I wanted. And that's just not the way it works, but he does give us everything that we need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I don't know about you, but when I read this and I think green pastures, I'm thinking like lush hills of green grass, right? Is that what you guys imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Because we live in a Western culture, and to us, that's what a green pasture would be, right? I'm like, God is just going to pick us up, plunk us down, we're going to have everything we need in this beautiful, lush, green field. But when we begin to study the Bible and not just read it, then we first have to look at the context that it was written. We have to look at the author and where that author lived. We have to look at the time and history to get a better understanding of what the scriptures mean to us. In the region of the Negev Desert in Israel, you do see lush green grasses covering the mountains that are called green pastures. Three months of the year. Three months of the year, you're going to get green grasses, you're going to get fields, you are going to eat and be full and be happy, and the sheep are going to love it. But for the other nine months of the year, this also is a green pasture. I don't know about you, but that does not look green to me. Very brown, very dry, doesn't look lush. But this also is referred to in biblical times and even Middle Eastern times now as a green pasture. You see how that sentence, that portion of scripture begins to change its meaning a little bit when we realize the context that David was writing it in? That this also is 
a green pasture. And this is what it looks like close up. You see it rains about three months of the year there and there's humidity in the air and you find that water will begin to form on these rocks and, and trickle down the sides and you get these little tufts of grass that spring up in the midst of the rocks. And it is the shepherd's job to lead their sheep across these mountainsides, the tracks in the side of these mountains, the sheep tracks and shepherd tracks. It is the shepherd's job to lead these sheep to eat when they need to eat. Not as much as they want to eat, but when they need to eat. He always provides exactly what we need when we need it. And he is faithful to do that. But we cannot call him not faithful if he doesn't give us what we want when we want it. A good shepherd will find green pastures for his flock in the midst of abundance and in the midst of scarcity. This is where we begin to understand the words of Jesus even better, where he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its, today has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. But oftentimes, that's the wrestle and the battle that we have as believers, right? We worry. We worry because we're not quite sure if he's good enough to lead us to what we need. I, um, I grew up on a hobby farm. It's like a wannabe farm. You know, we had some land, we had some animals, but it wasn't quite big enough to be like a full-time job. It was enough to keep me busy in chores my whole childhood. Um, and so we had sheep and we had uh, horses and cows, chickens, dogs, that kind of thing. Um, but I know a little bit about sheep. I also went to an agricultural high school. I, how multifaceted am I, right? <laughs> Don't ask me how do I know how I can manually check if a cow is pregnant or not, but I'll just leave you with that. I know, I have many talents. But, <laughs> but sheep, if you know anything about sheep, the way that they're typically described is timid, gullible, shy, dumb. I'm really trying not to be offended that we're constantly referred to as sheep in the Bible. Um, but one thing that sheep is really good at is following. They're really good at staying in a flock and they're really good at following. Not so good at a whole lot of other stuff though. <laughs> Get themselves into a lot of trouble. Like actually if sheep overeat, they just fall over. <laughs> and they just lay on their backs. I've seen it. It's hilarious. They just got to pray that someone's there, I guess, to tip them back over. But sheep are not... They're not these savvy, little, wise creatures that we may, I don't know, assume we are. <laughs> they are um, strong-willed sheep, are, but a good shepherd knows how to always lead his flock. He knows how to always get them back on track, pick them up if they've eaten too much.
Even the picture of God leading us besides still waters speaks to the peace that he will lead us in if we follow him. I say if we follow him because I want to make it clear that just because we're born again believers, there are a whole lot of people who aren't following Jesus who claim to be Christians. And there is a danger in that. And we must always remember that we need to be listening and following the shepherd and not our idols and not our opinions. He restores my soul. Some theologians have translated that as he brings me to repentance. Restores my soul sounds a whole lot nicer to me. <laughs> he brings me to repentance just kind of sounds painful, if I'm going to be honest. Requires a lot of humility to say we were wrong. <laughs> but I've been in this beautiful season with the Lord where I feel like he leads me constantly in repentance. And I think if, I was, if this was happening to me maybe five, ten years ago as a believer, it would have been very scary but I'm finding beauty in the uncomfortability of it all. He leads us daily in repentance. See, repentance isn't just something that we do when we receive salvation. It's a lifestyle that we live before God. And if we're following Jesus, but there's no repenting happening along the way, you may be following someone else. I've had to repent over opinions. I'm not very opinionated, though, thank goodness. <laughs> Shh. But I have to repent over my stubbornness. I can be stubborn sometimes in my opinions. I saw you hit him right there. <laughs> can I get an amen? No. <laughs> and this season has revealed convictions and opinions of so many believers that have been creating division not unity. Am I saying that our opinions and our convictions, that they all have to be the same? No. Am I saying that we have to vote for the same president? No. Am I saying that we can't disagree? I'm not saying any of that. We don't have to hold the same views of this pandemic as the believers sitting next to us. But let me say this. If your opinions and your convictions have altered your ability to be empathetic and compassionate, then it's your opinions that is leading you and not Jesus. One of the hardest things in this season has been to watch believers value their need to be right more than their mandate to love. We have to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit. We have to be quick to love, not judge. And it's so easy to judge right now, isn't it? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
The Passion Translation says this, He leads me along his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Friends, if the words that we're saying or typing, if they're not words of honor, then we're not following Jesus in his path of righteousness. Would Jesus be proud of the words that are coming out of our mouth? Maybe they're not even coming out of our mouth, but they're just lingering in our hearts. Would he be proud? Would they bring him honor? Our ability to love in this season is imperative. It's going to make or break us. I don't want to pretend that love is passive. I'm not saying that you can't have opinions in this season. But we need to stop throwing stones at one another. And we need to love each other like the Bible commanded us to do. It's as simple as that. It's a commandment. I think we're so at war sometimes with each other and we've engaged in this war that we don't even realize that we're doing the enemy's work for him. We think we're fighting for God and the enemy's like, yes, they're exactly where I want them. Causing division and strife. You're not winning any wars for God by doing that. In fact, you're taking ground for the enemy. We need to make no mistake of what we're fighting. And in Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, not of this nation, but of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I, I tried to find a YouTube video, because I feel like I've seen it somewhere, of like this little kid like fighting the air. And it was really funny, but I couldn't find it, so... I'd like to get Joaquin to come up for a demonstration. <laughs> but that's what we're doing. We're shadow boxing. We're shadow boxing if we think that we are fighting this world and the things of this world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Passion Translation says this, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness. Wait, what? Even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, Just because it's dark, it doesn't mean God's not leading. I'm a half glass full kind of girl, just very positive by nature. And I would dare to say that our church is perhaps a, a cup overrunning kind of church, which praise the Lord. We love the breakthrough, we love the testimony. We love looking at what God is doing. We love it all. 
We love the joy. But in order to know great joy, we have to know pain. We have to have dark seasons in order to know what a good season is, a joyful season, a harvest season. You can't know the difference between seasons if there's no contrast. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I brush off failures. And I'll just be like, oh, well, just pick yourself. I actually think I have a message on this. I just pick yourself back up and keep on going. Like, don't worry about the failure. Or, Or like we're quick to say when we lose someone that we love, but they're in heaven. Yes, they are. But it hurts. It hurts, and it's painful, and it's okay. It is okay to not be okay. What the world doesn't need is a bunch of Christians with this plastic smile across their face that don't know what pain is, that can't relate to them in the midst of their darkness. Because we can't be relevant to this world if we're not willing to go through a few valleys. I remember when we first came down to Austin for a, like a scouting trip and we met this beautiful man called Dan, Dan Davis who is really a father of this city and has brought so much unity to the churches here in Austin. He met with Joaquin and I. I remember towards the end of our conversation, he looked at me and he goes, you know the only person more lonely than a pastor? A pastor's wife. And I was like, just break that off in Jesus' name. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love people. I actually find it super easy to find community because people are just stuck with me regardless. And I just, I kind of love gravitating towards people, gathering people. So I never have a problem of being lonely. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm not a lonely person. I I do not receive that in Jesus' name. And, you know, two years into it, and and we went away up to a ranch, and I had a friend there from Houston, and we were sitting out on the balcony. She'd just gone through, let's just put it this way, none of my darkest valleys could touch hers. (laughs) Hers was so much darker and so much deeper than I've ever experienced. And she sat there with me, and she said, how are you doing? And I was like, great, good, because that's my answer all the time. Great, good. Sometimes it's through gritted teeth. (laughs) But it's my go-to answer when people ask me how I'm doing. And you know, in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, and he said, it's okay to not be okay. And I just broke down crying. And I think she was like, whoa. (laughs) I didn't know we were going there. And I just cried. And I cried because I understood what that man meant. I have people around me all the time. I'm not a lonely person in the sense of, um, you know, I don't have a good set of friends and family. I do, and I'm very blessed. But I never knew the loneliness of this journey until I stepped into it. But I never thought I had permission for it to be hard. I never thought that I could say it was painful because it's what I prayed for. It's what I prayed for. 
And I can honestly say I am living in the calling that God has put on my life, and I can't ask for anything more. My cup overflows. How dare I be in pain? How dare I be hurting right now? But it's okay to not be okay. You have to get through that valley either way. There is no way to bypass it, and God will drag you through if he has to. It is not comfortable, but can I implore you this? You can sit in that pain and let it teach you. And you can sit in that place and let it teach you. But don't camp there. Don't camp there. You were never meant to live there. You were meant to walk through there. But you were never meant to camp there. It took me on this journey. I began seeing a counselor, and I felt very ridiculous, if I'm honest. I was like, oh, what? Are, this is like the movies. I was like, should I lay down? And what should I do? You know? And <laughs> I just felt very odd, because like, I really have to muster it up you know, to like, here is everything. Um, and I, I felt kind of ridiculous, but after a few times of seeing this lady and she began to ask these questions and I began to really look within my spirit and my soul and give myself permission to be in pain and just permission to say it's hard. It's okay if this season has been hard for you. Being a believer, it doesn't negate the fact that it's hard. It just means that there is someone who's doing the hard with you. I have known God in the midst of my greatest joys, but I have never grown as close to God in intimacy as I have in the midst of my pain. We begin to partake in the sufferings of Jesus, and it can't help you but draw you closer to him. And if you allow that valley of darkness... It will teach you and it will bring you out even closer to the Lord than when you entered. And I will say this, one of the things I noticed is it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, shadows have no substance. There is something of substance that casts that shadow, but you are just walking through a shadow. It's not, I don't want to say it's not real because that's not, your emotions, your feeling, your pain, your grief, it's real. It's real. But you will get through. You will get through because it is a shadow. I love this next part. I will fear no evil for you are with me. The Passion Translation, I just love that translation. I'm also trying to plug Brian coming, so you should be here. But it says this, and this has become the declaration of this past season. This one line that I'm about to say has become this meditation that I've been meditating on this past season. It says, fear will not conquer me, for you already have. Fear will not conquer me, for you already have. which tells me you're going to be conquered one way or another. You just get to choose who conquers you. Yeah. 
fear will never conquer me, for you already have. And every day that we choose to allow God to conquer our hearts, we push fear further and further away. I'm going to go down a rabbit trail. It's about to get sketchy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wrong words. It might be a scary rabbit for some, but I'm just going to say it. Sometimes I like to just believe that because I have an accent, I can get away with saying things that I maybe. <laughs> I just told you my trick right there. <laughs> right? Something's the blow, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Let's not dress our fear up and call it something different. If, if COVID has done anything, it has created fear. We have lost someone very dear to us through COVID. So I do not dare to make light of it. People have died. And it is real. We have a whole bunch of people over here who are so fearful that they're just swallowing hook, line, and sinker everything that the media is saying. And they're immobilized by fear. It is real. I'm not saying it's not real. But the fear, it is immobilizing people. But wait. We got a whole nother group of people over here who are saying, look at them, they're so fearful. This thing doesn't exist. You can't let people control you. We even had people say, how can you wear a mask and sing about freedom? And my question is, is if mask can take away your freedom, then you were never really free at all. This is fear also. It's just fear of being controlled. But make no mistake, it's fear. So let's not cast stones at one another and say your fear is more invalid than mine. Amen. <laughs> I'm not saying that we can't stand up for freedom. I'm not saying that, don't misunderstand me. But if Paul learned how to be free behind bars and we can't learn how to be free behind a mask, there's something wrong with our foundation as a Christian. I'm get, okay, full experience. I don't like masks. I don't, I don't love wearing one because I find it quite hard to breathe. They're not my favorite thing to wear. But if they make someone else more comfortable, I'll wear one. Because you know why? My empathy trumps my fear of being controlled. I know I'm like shooting some sacred cows right now. Shooting, tipping, whatever. <laughs> In the midst of persecution, 
And I'm not saying that this is persecution, but in the midst of turmoil, we really do find out what we're made of. And we can't preach what we don't practice. And moving on quickly. <laughs> your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, I'm not sure why, but I never, I mean, probably because I haven't been a shepherd, but I, I never really knew what a rod looked like that, a, that was depicted in this scripture until I looked it up. And I was like, oh, that rod is a form of protection. It's a weapon that the shepherd would use to ward off animals and beasts away from the flock. It was a sign of protection. And the staff with this hook on the end actually is a perfect size for a sheep's neck. No joke, that's what they use it for. The shepherd, if the sheep is going in the wrong direction, will gently hook it around its neck and pull it into the right direction. Or maybe that sheep has fallen down a cleft, or deception. And the shepherd will gently hook it around its neck and pull it up. And the shepherd doesn't reprimand, but he does bring correction to his sheep. And here it says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Could otherwise be said as your protection and your correction, they comfort me. If I'm following my shepherd and I allow him to protect me and I allow him to correct me, then I should find comfort in that. That should be comforting to our souls. I have something completely off subject that I want to say, but I'm just trying to <laughs> filter. <laughs> It hasn't stopped me yet, no, but, okay, then I'll go. I feel like I just got permission. Okay. I was speaking to our leaders this morning, and, and I just feel like it's, I just wanted to bring it up here, and it's a little bit off, it's very off topic, but I think, you know, whatever. <laughs> the climate in which we live in, the racial tension, the pandemic, the politics, we have a lot of people who are often like, why aren't you preaching politics? Why have I not heard anyone get up here and preach on politics? It's a good question. But I would say this, our call as a house is not politics. Our call as a house is to cultivate a pre the place where the presence of God is comfortable to rest so that people can come in here and encounter him. Even if you're a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> so we're not going to get up here and preach politics. And we're not going to say, hey, follow me as I follow Trump. Well, follow me as I follow Biden. But what we will say is, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because if you want to 
church to tell you what to think and who to vote for, then you don't want a church. You want a cult. to think. It's our job to teach people how to think. And we will always, always be pushing people to think with the kingdom in mind. To think with an eternal perspective. So we're just not going to be a church that tells you who to vote for. You know, we have people on our leadership team who have differing political affiliations. <laughs> and we still love each other. <gasps> Let's not hurt people. Let's not hurt people. Because we believe more in a man than we do in Jesus. I love what Pastor Bill says. He can win with any hand he is dealt. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He sets up a table in the middle of our war. You notice how it doesn't say, I set up a table when the war is over. I'll give you a table when you're in heaven and there's no longer a battle. We'll just wait for a lunch break on the battleground and I'll set a table before you. He sets a table in the middle of our war. In order to eat, you need to be at rest and at peace in order to feast. It has to be a level of comfortability, a level of peace. So what he is promising us is that he will give us peace in the midst of our war. He will give us peace in the midst of our war. Joaquin spoke a couple of weeks ago about how we're all drafted into God's army. Sometimes we're wondering why it's not the, I don't know what place you referenced, but I'll just say, what's a place we love? I don't know. Cancun. We wonder why we're not in Cancun. The Ritz-Carlton, there you go. Because we're actually on the battlefield. And that's not always comfortable, but that is our assignment. But he will prepare a table for us in the midst of our battlefield. I'd like to take a side note to remind us what God says about our enemies. Matthew 5, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 
It's really hard to curse someone if you're praying for them. And if we just can't pray, then God is faithful to give us a heart to pray. But that is our call as believers, to love our enemies. I'm not talking about just being this mat that gets walked over and your opinions don't matter and you shouldn't have a voice. I am not saying that. But I'm saying first and foremost, you are called to love and love your enemies. You know, a few weeks ago I was reading in Proverbs and this scripture stood out to me and I actually forgot about it and then Mike today, this morning, came and passed me a piece of paper. Where are you, Mike? Somewhere. Maybe he's out. He's our head security guy. We love him. He's amazing. But he passed me this and he said, I just, I think I was praying about this and I feel like it's prophetic. And I was like, yes, I forgot about this one. And I went to my Bible and read it and I've already got it underlined with the words, wow, written across it. And this is what it says. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city. God doesn't need you to take a city as much as he needs you to take yourself. I mean, I kind of get it because I do like a little bit of a fight. Okay, when I was younger, one of my favorite movies was Bloodsport. <laughs> Does anyone know that movie, or am I really showing my age? Okay, Van Damme? No? Okay, oh, yeah. Best movie. So great. Throws the salt in his eyes. I kind of like a good fight. I do. I'm not going to lie. But let's not fight for the sake of fighting. We already know who wins this war. Right? Let's not fight because we got nothing better to do. Because there's a whole world out there who needs an encounter with God. And it's really hard to hear about a loving God when you come up against someone with boxing gloves on. Let's not go looking for fights. You know, I, I, was, I was just putting my makeup on earlier today and I, I heard my kids fighting, which never happens. <laughs> and of course it was over something so ridiculous, like a toy, like, it's fine, it's fine, they're not letting me fight, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, ugh. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, will it ever stop? But I notice this pattern that it begins to turn violent with my kids when they don't trust that we will step in and execute justice. And I keep thinking, we keep talking about this nation and freedom and what it was built on. This is what it was built on. In God, we trust. In God, we trust. 
But the moment we stop trusting God, we turn violent. Because we don't trust that he's good enough to execute justice for us. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. We, um, you anoint my head with oil, you know, keeping this shepherding theme that goes throughout this whole psalm. As I told you, I was in an agricultural school. I know, very exciting. Um, but I learned a lot about animals and a lot about sheep. Um, without giving too much detail, I know how to castrate a sheep. <laughs> if you ever need my services, I will... <laughs> we learned at school was this thing that would happen amongst flocks of sheep called fly strike. Anyone, anyone heard of that? Come on, Wayne, help me out. You're a farm boy. No? Okay. Fly strike. Basically what happens is a blowfly or a parasitic fly will land on a soiled piece of wool or an open wound on a sheep and it will lay eggs. I know, super gross. And those eggs begin to hatch and they turn into lava and they larva, larvae. I don't know how to say it in an American accent. And maggots. I hate maggots so much. Oh, <laughs> sorry. But they turn into maggots and these maggots begin to eat the flesh of the sheep. And once a sheep has this condition, they pretty quickly, they get ammonia, this toxin from the maggots that goes into their bloodstream and within days they die. You know, in modern farming, we have medication and we've figured out diets and, and stuff like that and more advanced technology to help us fight this. But in the days of David, they didn't have that. And so what would happen is the shepherd would pour oil on the sheep's head until it ran down its back. And what that oil was, was a barrier between life and death. And so when we read this pas passage of scripture and he says, you anoint my head with oil. Yes, there is a Levitical anointing that takes place throughout scripture where God anoints a man of God, a woman of God, and he uses oil. But if we continue the shepherding principles that began this psalm, then it's saying he anoints our heads with oil to protect us, to give us life and not death, to stop parasites from coming in and eating away at us. A lovely image. But I think it's beautiful because it's him tending to us. And it's him covering us. And it's like he's saying, not on my watch. Not on my watch will you get near my sheep. My cup overflows. You know, the blessings of God are obviously in our life to bless us. But they're more than that. They're to bless those around us as well. 
I'm taking a bit of liberty here, but I really believe that our cup is full of blessing for us, but it overflows for those around us. Amen? And I tell you, when we're overflowing with peace in the chaos that is happening, people are going to be drawn to us. When we're overflowing with love and not casting stones, people will be drawn to us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I spoke about a year and a half ago on angels. The sermon was called, My Angel's Name is Bob. He really, he, he really is called Bob. Um, you should go back and listen to it. But I, t- I talked about this passage of Scripture, and many theologians actually think that King David was calling his angels by name when he said, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Can you imagine that beautiful picture of the shepherd out in front and the angels of goodness and mercy by our sides? That is how we are called to walk through this Christian journey. Charles Spurgeon says this, these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and at my beck. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended. So it is with every believer. We carry angels with us. Sometimes Christians are more aware of the demonic than they are of the angelic. And what we focus on in the kingdom grows. So if we keep looking for the demons... You know, angels are mentioned all throughout the scripture with over 394 references to the angelic. Joshua Mills says this, many people who are comfortable with the theory of the existence of angels seem shocked by the talk of their reality. Isn't that true? Such pretty, nice scripture. But you tell me an angel flew in this room and what? (laughs) That makes me uncomfortable. But it's true, we have these angels. And I love this. I love this image of goodness and mercy at either of our sides following us as we follow the shepherd. And it ends with this, I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful promise that ends this passage and... um, It's such a beautiful promise, but this right here is probably the main reason that this scripture is read at funerals. The hope, right? The hope that we would dwell in his house forever. But can I tell you, you don't have to wait until you die. You get to live in his house forever, right now, right here. And can I tell you that as we meditate on that and as heaven becomes more real to us, these earthly things really will fade into the background. We'll stop shadow boxing. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is no better promise in scripture. 
to be one with God in his presence. But we must learn how to cultivate his presence in our life here on earth. This is a scripture for the living. And it is possible. And the more we do that, the more peace, the more joy, the more stability, the more comfort we will have in the midst of turmoil. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for us. Ben, can you come up for me? Don't get comfortable. Don't receive right now. Get, no, I'm just kidding. He just put his hands out ready, and I'm like. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that you care more about the condition of our hearts than our political stances. I thank you that if we allow it, you will conquer us so that fear has no place. I thank you that you are with us in the green pastures, beside the still waters, and in the valley of the shadow of death. You are with us and you never, ever leave us. And I thank you that we have this hope that we have this assurance that your presence will dwell with us, not just when we die, but now, today, tomorrow, in our offices, in our homes, in our cars, wherever we find ourselves, if we would just turn our affection toward you, you are with us. Thank you for your promises over our life. I thank you for our guidance. And I thank you that you are loving, forgiving, and patient shepherd. And that even as we figure this out, that you are with us every step of the way. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.